Well, good morning. Recently, a uh, good friend of mine came into my office quite candidly. It had been a stressful day, a long day, kind of a frustrating day. And uh, I just remember sitting there returning emails and trying to catch up. A lot going on in my mind. And somebody comes, knocks on the door, and my buddy walks in. And when he walks in, he's carrying this big gift with him. And uh, I'm kind of thinking, man, uh, who's that for? And he goes, hey, Holmes, I, I got you something. And, and I look at my buddy and I go, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's your birthday next week and mine's a long way off. What do you mean you got something for me? And he goes, hey, uh, I just saw this and I thought of you and I just thought, man, you've got to have this. And I'm thinking, man, that's incredibly thoughtful, right? I mean, here I am on just a random afternoon and a friend walks in and he brings me a gift and he goes, I want you to open it. And so I turn and I open this gift and um, what my friend knew is that one of my very favorite books, my favorite book outside of the Bible, is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. And I open this up and it is a framed map, a map of Christian's journey to the celestial city. And if you're familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, you know it's a story about a, about a, a man who trusts Christ and it's, it's our journey, it's a spiritual journey and it tells the story of the Bible and how we walk with Christ. And he found this map and he goes, man, I thought of you. And I just thought you had to have that. And I was, I was really touched that a guy would take the time, see something and go, man, you, this has got Blake Holmes's name written all over it. You gotta have it. I certainly didn't deserve it. I didn't pay anything for it. I didn't earn it. It cost me nothing. It cost him, I know, I know it cost him a lot. And it wasn't a special occasion. He just gave it to me out of the kindness of his heart and his generosity. What if I told you, what if I told you that God wanted to give you a gift just like that? What if I told you that God in heaven has a gift in mind specifically for you. I'm not talking about the person sitting beside you. I'm talking about, no, no, really. The God in heaven wants to give you specifically a gift. But here's the deal. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't find it in a store. You don't deserve it. And it costs him everything. And he wants to give it to you. And all you have to do is receive it. I mean, could you imagine if my buddy walks into my office and goes, Holmes, I thought of you. And I, I want to give this to you. And I go, hey, thanks. Nah. Nah, I really don't want that. I don't even want to open it. I mean, I think he'd be like, whoa. Right? And here is the truth, gang. God wants to give a gift to you. And there's two types of people in this world, real simply, real simply, two types of people. It is those who understand and have received the gift that God intends to give us. And those who have said, eh, not interested. What is that gift? What is the gift that God wants to give you? 
Well, the scripture is really clear. It's the verse maybe, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, it's the verse maybe you have heard before. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him will have the gift of eternal life. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works. In other words, you can't earn it so that no one can boast. God wants to give every one of us a gift. I love gifts. Don't you love gifts? And I love gifts that keep on giving, don't you? Those are even better gifts. And what I wanna do today is I wanna unpack the gift of God so that you can understand what it is he has given to us. We're gonna look at Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. So if you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn there, get out a pen, be ready to mark it up. If you don't have your Bibles, that's fine. Grab your phone. I know you have your phone. Pull out the little highlighter and I'm gonna walk you through Romans 5, 1 through 11. And we are going to unpack the gift of salvation. The gift he wants to give every one of us is a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. That's the gift. God wants you to have life, eternal life, a relationship with him. But you can't earn it. You can't buy it. You don't deserve it. And I want you to understand the blessings that come when you receive this gift. I want you to understand the nature of our salvation and the implications of it. Hopefully you've been uh, reading along in the journey with us this year. And um, the journey is, if you're not familiar, it, it's just a, it's a means by which we as a body, a family of believers, a family of faith, can journey through scripture together. And if you remember, we started the year, um, I got up here and I talked about, I said, hey, if there's one book I could have on a deserted island, one book I would encourage you to read of all the books, no, it wouldn't just be the Bible. But if you could pick one book out of all of Scripture, what would it be? It would be the book of Romans. And if you were to just, if you've been journeying with us, I hope you didn't miss Romans 5, 1 through 11. Because it's here, Paul, he's gonna explain to us this gift. And he's gonna unpack six blessings specifically. What's the first blessing that we have? Well, we take this gift, right? This gift of salvation. And what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this with me. You're gonna open this up. And we're gonna open up gift after gift after gift. And I've already peaked. I've studied this week. I know what the text says. Look at verse one. And you tell me what you see. See it? It's the gift of peace. It's the gift of peace. It's the gift of peace. Peace, what does that mean? It's peace with God. It says, therefore, since we have been justified 
by faith, we have, there it is, peace. Circle that word, underline that word. And notice what it says. It says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, in other words, in light of everything we've read in Romans one through four, therefore, in light of everything I've just shared, since we have been justified, declared righteous, that's a legal term, justification, we've been declared righteous for every one of us who's received this gift. God has declared us righteous. He has said you were forgiven, okay? You are pardoned. You don't have to pay that penalty of your sin and your rebellion. And he says, since we have been justified by faith, again, by faith, not because of something we've earned, not because of effort, not because of hard work, not because of how much money we've given, how many community service hours we've had, but since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now notice that. It doesn't say peace of God. I'm not referring here to we have peace of God like, like a, we have a, a kind feeling in our, in our hearts, and our minds, a tranquility. Okay, there's other passages that speak of peace of God. This says we have peace with God. And you've gotta understand why that matters. You gotta understand the distinction. In order to understand and appreciate the gift, you've gotta understand why we need peace with God. And Paul tells us that in Romans one through three. The reason why we need peace with God is because all of us have sinned against him. All of us are deserving of judgment. And because of our sin, we've been separated from God. And we now experience death. Not just physical death, but a spiritual death. We've been separated from the God who created us to have a relationship with him. We've rebelled against him, and now we're experiencing the consequences of that. And Paul in Romans 1 through 3, he says, hey, look, the pagan Gentile, you're without excuse. You have all of creation that declares the glory of God, and yet you still reject me. And then he looks at the moral man, and he goes, the moral man, the guy who thinks, oh, you know what, I'm good enough. He goes, hey, moral man, you also are guilty. You're an enemy of God. You have sinned against him. There is a breach in the relationship. And then he looks at the privileged Jews and he goes, hey, even you, the Jewish people who have all the covenants and the promises, you are guilty. And then in Romans 3, he says, all of us are guilty. He defines the problem so that we can understand the gift. Even in this passage right here, just look down. And we're gonna look at this here in a little bit, but look at verse six. He describes us, and just put a little check marks over each of these words, he describes us as being weak. In other words, we can't bring anything to earn God's favor. He describes us in that verse as well as being ungodly. In verse eight, he tells us that we were sinners. In verse 10, he describes us as enemies. Now, no one likes hearing this. I'll tell you why, it's the cross is offensive to us. Because we have too low view of God and we have too high a view of ourselves. And that's just the truth. You see, we judge other, others, we judge ourselves on this sliding scale. 
right? We look at this guy over here and we go, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm pretty good. And God's saying, hey, in order to be rightly related to me, the standard, the bar is perfection. And you fall far short. And it's something, because of that, I, I still love you. And I want you to receive this gift. And you could be made right with me and you can have peace with me. How? By receiving the gift. He says right here that we have been justified by faith. Because of that, we now have peace with God. This is language of reconciliation. We've been reconciled. We were once enemies and now we've been reconciled. In 2016, it was 75 years, 75 years after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. I don't know if y'all remember this. I was moved. I still remember the pictures. It was December 7th, 1941, if you remember, it's when Pearl Harbor was. And in 2016, 75 years later, I remember the pictures of U.S. sailors gathering with Japanese fighter pilots sitting at tables with one another, sharing a meal with one another, looking at pictures of each other's families, crying with one another, talking about what they had experienced, what they had lived through. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, how surreal, right? I mean, had I gone December 7th, 1941, to those U.S. sailors and I had said to them, Hey, guess what? 75 years from now, I know you're not going to believe this, but 75 years from now, you're actually going to sit down, break bread, and share a meal and embrace the people who are dropping bombs on you right now. They would have said, there is not a chance I will ever do that. Right? But there they were. 75 years later, making amends reconcile to one another. And King, what God offers us is this gift of a relationship with him through Christ so that we're no longer enemies separated from God, but we're reconciled with him and we have peace with God. If you wanna understand the blessing of salvation and what it is Christ has done for us, the first thing you gotta know is you gotta recognize and see the, the gift and what it means that we have peace with him. But not only do we have peace, look at verse two. Through him, through Jesus Christ, we have also obtained, what is in that gift? What's that second thing? It's access. It's access. Look what it says. We've also obtained ac access by faith into this grace in which we stand. This is an amazing, this is an amazing implication. We've obtained access into the throne room of God. We who were once separated from him now can boldly walk into the throne room of grace. We don't need a priest. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need to clean up our lives. We don't need to make a sacrifice. One has been made for you. And now you can enter into the presence of a holy righteous God. 
That's amazing. That's amazing that you right now can just simply say a prayer and God will receive your prayers. He will hear you. The creator of the universe will listen to you, cares about your worries and your concerns, understands your anxiety, your sorrow, and he welcomes you like a father wants to hear from his child. That's crazy. But that's the love of God. We have this access. How does it come? There are those two words again, by faith. Don't miss that. And look what it says. We have this access, and we don't just sheepishly walk in like this. But no, no, no. It says, into this grace in which we stand. Right? Chest up. No shame. We stand. Hebrews 4.16, the writer says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's amazing. What you have to understand though, this doesn't just include our entry into a relationship with God. This includes that every day we can enjoy that kind of relationship. Every day, even on our worst days, even on our days where we have just blown it, God goes, hey, come on in. Always welcome in my house. Just come, pray. If you consider for a moment how the Israelites lived, this is really crazy. Because during the time of the Old Testament, God, um, there there was a place in, in the world called the temple. And in the holy of holies, that is where God dwelled specifically, specially. And no one just walked into the holy of holies, except one time a year the high priest could, after he had made sacrifice. But if you just walked in there, that you would die. Because man just can't walk into the presence of a holy and righteous God. But you can Why? Because of the gift of salvation and what was accomplished for you at Calvary through the cross. Some of you are familiar with um, my son's story. My son was diagnosed uh, with cancer when he was four years old. And um, he's doing great now. He's doing great now. He's a cancer survivor. He's doing great, but... um, there's an organization called Make-A-Wish. Some of you are familiar with this. And uh, it was unbelievable that uh, these people, we don't even know, these complete strangers, they come, they knock on our door, and they, and they say, hey, listen, um, Gage, we're with Make-A-Wish. And, uh, and we want to grant you a wish. And you can think of it. What do you want? Like, you can think of crazy things. Like, think beyond, I want a trampoline in the backyard, Right? Like, you could go big. What do you want to do? And my son goes, how about Disney World for a week? And they're like, done. Going to Disney World. And let me tell you something. There's going to Disney World, right, as parents, and then there's going to Disney World with Make-A-Wish. Those are two different things. Going to Disney World as just regular common Joe, those are long lines, 
and I love Disney World, but they're long lines, a lot of money, right? And, uh, and make reservations and plan your week out like a year in advance and maybe you'll get in. Going to Disney World with Make-A-Wish, you wear a badge, you walk in that park when you want before it opens, right? You go up to the ride, you don't wait in a line. The lines don't exist. Fast pass, no, 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 there's no such thing as fast pass. You go past the fast pass people, okay? And then they see that little badge, they put you on that ride. What, what cart do you wanna ride in? I, I, the first one, great. Boom, you're on the first one. And then when you finish the ride, if you wanna go again, you just go. <laughs> Bring it! And you just keep going, like Buzz Lightyear 50 times, I think. I lost count. Like again, hey dad, let's do it again, right? And the guy would just laugh, woo, woo, just keep going. <laughs> we walk up to the Princess Castle or whatever that thing is, you know, I have no idea that you have to get reservations nine months in advance. But we're hungry and I see this line, apparently it's a good place to eat, right? And I walk up and I'm, you know, to the hostess, yeah. Um, how long is the wait? Uh, nine months? And uh, I go, oh man, oh, okay. I, I just thought maybe we could get something to eat because you know you wanna go to the top of this castle, that iconic castle. Well, my son walks up with my wife right after I'd asked that and the hostess looks at me and goes, oh, are you with him? <laughs> and I go, yeah. She goes, oh, you can come in right now. We've got room. And then we're up in the castle, right? People waited nine months. No kidding. Three o'clock parade. We're sitting there, three o'clock parade. That thing's coming down the main street. There's my son, his make-a-wish badge on. That float stops. Whole parade stops. Those characters come down from the float, get pictures with us, give him a high five. I mean, it brings tears to my eyes. We had all access pass Disney World. And let me tell you something, that pales in comparison to the access you have to a much greater kingdom of a true and living righteous God, a holy king. That's what you've got. Not just for a week, but for eternity, okay? For eternity. Look at this, look what the next gift is. It just gets better. You look at the next gift, can you see what it is? There it is, hope, hope. You think this world needs hope, gang? Let me tell you something, this world needs hope. It says right there, look at what it says in the latter part of verse two, and we rejoice in hope. You gotta circle, highlight, star that word. We don't, only have, we don't only have peace or access, we have hope. And what does that mean? We have hope of the glory of God. Now, let's just be honest, sometimes we hear terms like that, we're like, okay, what does that really mean? Let me tell you what it means. Let me try to define this for you, okay? 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
because we shall see him as he is. That's crazy. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. What this verse is saying, for those of us who has received the gift of salvation, that there will be a future hope, a hope, gang, where we will not only see the glory of God, but share in the glory of God through Jesus Christ. Sin will no longer taste good. You will no longer be impacted by others' sin or your own. You will share in the glory of God and be made like him. Like mind blown. We have a hope. Now when you hear hope, if you're anything like me, you know, I hear hope and I kind of think wishful thinking. You know, like I wish the Rangers would win the World Series. Not gonna happen. You can wish all day long the Rangers are not gonna win the World Series. It's kinda like, I wish. That's wishful thinking. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation. Biblical hope is certainty of an outcome not yet realized. That's what biblical hope is. C.S. Lewis said this, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of the things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. See what he's saying there? As a believer, you have hope. And if you have hope, a future hope, it impacts the present. If you live with that certainty, if you understand the implication of salvation and the blessing that comes, you have hope. Not only a future hope, you have a present hope. Look what it says, look, look, look at what it says. Verse three, not only that, not only the hope of the glory of God that we rejoice in, but we rejoice in our, hello, sufferings. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces, there's that word, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. You see, that's quite odd, isn't it? That we don't just rejoice in the future hope, but we rejoice in the present hope despite our sufferings. We've got, gang, we've got to, as Christians, have a biblical, theological understanding of suffering. You are not promised, let me just tell you, let me be clear, despite what you may hear or read somewhere else, you are not promised that when you trust in Jesus Christ, the wind will always be at your back. You are not promised it's always gonna be downhill in wealth and happiness and health. That is not true. Jesus says, Luke 9, 23, hey, you're gonna follow him. Guess what you're gonna do? You're gonna pick up your cross. You're gonna deny yourself. When we follow Christ, Paul says that we share in his sufferings as the body of Christ. We're not home yet. 
Now there'll be a day, there'll be a future hope, there'll be a future glory, but right here we live in a broken world and Christ is at work in us. But here's the comfort. The comfort is this, is that there is a divine permission and rationale behind our suffering. And he can redeem our suffering. How? Because we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And there'll be a day when we stand before him and we will not be ashamed. We will have passed the test. In uh, the book I referred to earlier, Pilgrim's Progress, my, my favorite scene in there is when, when Christian finds himself uh, at the ca- entrapped, imprisoned at a castle called the Castle of Doubt. Anybody ever been there before? You've been entrapped in a castle called Doubt? You know who owns this castle but the giant of despair? Isn't that great, great language? that the giant of despair has trapped Christian and he beats him mercilessly. And Christian is just beyond the point of hope. And Bunyan in his book has masterfully put a friend with Christian in his cell and his name is Hope. And hope says to Christian over and over again, he reminds him of God's word. He reminds him of God's faithfulness. He keeps pointing Christian to what's true until finally Christian goes, oh, you know what? I didn't even realize it. I've got a key. I've got a key, which is the promise of God's word. And this key will unlock every door in the castle of doubt if I'll just exercise faith if I'm just reminded of my hope. And gang, there's some of you in here today, you are in the castle of doubt. I've been there. You're being beaten by the giant of despair. I have been there. And I just wanna tell you, hey, if you understand the gift of salvation, there's hope. Even in your present suffering, there is hope. And others of you, you have friends who are in that castle. And it's your job to be the friend to Christian and remind them of the hope that we share. This isn't wishful thinking. It's not just abstract thinking. It is a certainty of the things that are to come. But not only do we have hope, we have something else. Look at verse five. It says, and hope does not put us to shame because what else do we have? We have something else. We have God's love, not just any love, but an unconditional love because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me unpack this. Let me help you understand. This is an unconditional love for you. And God has demonstrated his love in two ways. The first one, look, look what it says. How? Because he has poured out into our hearts the Holy Spirit. God has internally witnessed to you his love. 
If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you know the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's something you can't describe. It is, it is a surety that you have when you read God's word and you have understanding and there's something that leaps in you. It's the affections that you have for God and wanting to please him. It's the conviction you have when you go, oh man, I, oh, forgive me, Lord. It's the wisdom, the counsel, the motivation to love. That's God's spirit in you. It's the understanding of his word. That's the doctrine of illumination. God has given you an internal witness, but he's also giving you an external witness. What does he say right here? What's the external proof of God's love for you but the cross of Christ? There's never been a greater demonstration of love. But here's how it's different from any love you've ever experienced. It's unlike any human love in that it's unconditional. Human love is, hey, what have you done for me lately? This is different. This is an unconditional love. Paul says right here in those, those passages, he goes, hey, you know, maybe a man would give his life, maybe a man would give his life for a righteous person, like someone who's known to, to be a good guy. Maybe he'd give his life for somebody who's, who's been good to him. But Christ's love is so crazy and that he was willing to die for his enemies. That's unlike any kind of love. And that is the love that God has for you. See, that's crazy. That's crazy to believe there's a God in heaven who loves you so much that there's nothing you could do to make him love you more and nothing you could do to make him love you less. Like, just let that sink in for a second. You know any love like that? You ever experienced a love like that? Only through Jesus. Understand this, gang. Hey, I don't obey Jesus. I don't follow him in order so that he'll love me more. Okay? There's a difference between a tremendous difference between acceptance-based performance and performance-based acceptance. Performance-based acceptance says, hey, you better behave. You better live rightly. You better get this right. You better do more in order to be accepted by me. That's totally different than acceptance-based performance where I know I'm loved. I know I'm secure. I know I'm at peace with God. I know I have access. I know I have hope. I know I'm loved by him. And with that kind of love, I'm like, Lord, how do I live in such a way as to honor and please you? You died for me. Now, now how do I give in return? Those are two very different things. Right? My son chooses to mow the yard today, and he mows the yard going, Oh, man, my dad's going to kill me if I don't get this done. It better to be done right. I just, oh, i got to mow this yard. And, oh, man, he's, you know, he's, a, he's an exact man. He's a judging man if it's not done right. Or he mows the yard. He goes, man, if, if I could get this yard done before my dad comes home, man, it would be so great to surprise him. I'd love to do this so way just to thank him because I love him. He's good to me. Two different motivations. And some of you guys are just trying so hard because, man, maybe God's gonna love you more. It's a bad theology. And that's not understanding the gift. You don't understand the gift yet. 
Look at the next gift. Let's look at this, verses nine and 10. You open this up, even better. It gets better and better. Since therefore we have now been justified, declared righteous, how? By his blood through the cross, much more shall we be saved. What are we saved from? We're saved by him, by Jesus, from what? The wrath of God. We're saved from the wrath of God. Circle the word saved. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Now, now think about this, okay? Paul assures us that we will escape the coming wrath of God. Why? Because it says we have been justified, declared righteous by Jesus. Why will we escape the coming wrath of God? Because we have been reconciled. We are no longer enemies. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, he says, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, when we talk about the wrath of God, when we talk about the sin nature of man, people bristle, right? It's offensive. The cross is offensive to me. Who are you to tell me that I need forgiveness? That offends people. Jesus said, hey, the cross is a stumbling block. I'm a stumbling block to people. When you talk about the wrath of God, that is not politically correct. Everybody bristles. The wrath of God, see, that's the problem. You talk about Jesus is the only way. You talk about hell. Look at the God of the Old Testament, the wrath of God. What's Noah doing? Why is God flooding the earth? Here's, let me, let me just tell you, real simply. The same guy is saying, why doesn't God do something about evil? Why doesn't he step in and stop terrorism? You see, let me say it like this. To struggle and to question and to wrestle with the wrath of God, the coming wrath of God. When God will judge this world and everyone who rejects this gift will be eternally separated from him. Do you realize that? Everyone who doesn't accept this gift will experience the wrath of God. God will go, hey, your will be done. You want nothing of me, you will never be reminded of me again. To wrestle with the wrath of God, gang, is to wrestle with and to question the justice of God and the goodness of God. To struggle and wrestle with the wrath of God is to wrestle with the justice of God. You see, God is just, and there is a day when he must judge sin forever. And he will do something about evil. But check this out. He has already done something about evil. At the cross, he poured out his wrath on his son. You see, at the cross, he demonstrated both his wrath and his love for us. You realize that, right? The reason why we escape his wrath, why we escape his wrath, is because Jesus paid the penalty for us. And so God doesn't overlook his justice. God doesn't overlook his, his 
uh, righteousness. He can accept us because Jesus paid the penalty. He's done something about evil. He's done something about sin through the cross. But he will ultimately do something about evil when he displays his justice on a world that has rebelled against him. And he says, hey, listen, my patience, my long suffering is over. There will be an end. You've heard Todd say it often. There is often a second chance, but there is always a last chance. Second Peter 3, 9 says this, the reason why God has delayed his wrath is because he's patient towards you. He didn't want anyone to experience his wrath but more to come to knowing. There's often a second chance, but there is always a last chance. And as believers, we're gonna escape his wrath. J.R. Packer said this, God's wrath in the Bible is never the capricious, self-indulgent, irritable, morally ignoble thing that human anger so often is. It is instead a right and necessary reaction to objective moral evil. Why doesn't God rid the world of evil? Well, where do you want him to start? For those of us who have trusted in Christ, we escape this wrath. And we know that he will ultimately do something about evil. The last gift we have, the final gift This is something the world wants, doesn't have, and can be yours. Great gifts come in the smallest packages. What does it say? More than that, we also rejoice. Circle that word, highlight it, star it. Gang, it's the gift of joy. We have reason to rejoice. Joy. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. How many people do you know in this world have true joy? True joy. Not something they're trying to find on a Friday night that's fleeting. I'm talking about joy. I'm not talking about something that's circumstantial. I'm talking about joy that is rooted in God through Jesus Christ. That doesn't change with circumstance or time, but joy. I'm talking about a joy that's not earned, but made possible through Christ for those that have been reconciled with God. If you were here at our Easter service or at the church leadership conference, You were introduced to our friend D. Elliott, a friend of ours, a man who's been just so faithful in this church for so long. And D now suffers from Lou Gehrig's disease. He's trapped, right? Paralyzed in a wheelchair. And you would think when you look and talk to D, you would just sit there and you'd think, man, how bitter would you be? can't do anything for yourself anymore. This once strong, independent man, graduate of the Naval Academy. And you go and you talk to him and you're like, that's different. I don't sense bitterness. I see joy. 
a joy this world does not understand. This man is telling me, and has said it often, and he's said so many times, he likes to quote Charles Spurgeon, a famous preacher who said, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. Meaning, hey, Blake, yeah, I'm trapped in this wheelchair. I can't do what I once did, but make no mistake about it, I have joy. It can't be taken from me. You could take my legs, you could take my arms, you could take my health, but I have joy. And I just sit there and I look at Dee and I go, Dee, you, you fire me up. You inspire me, you encourage me, you help me, you bless me, you remind me of Romans 5. You tell me it's true. I look at a world all around me. It's desperate for the blessings of God and is trying to find it everywhere but God. And I gotta be honest with you, we hear words like peace and access and hope and love and salvation and joy. And we kinda go, yeah. And I pray God wrecks you. I really do. I pray God shakes you, right? And, and, and wakes you up to the reality that as believers, you have something that's more than just words on a page or words that we sing. You've got a true hope. You have peace with God. You've got an unconditional love. You've got a joy. You're gonna be saved from the wrath to come. Your life, Christian, should look different, not so you can earn these things, because you already have them. I pray you rest in these things this week. I pray that you serve him boldly. I pray you tell others of the joy of the gift that can be theirs if they will receive it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your kindness. Thanks for your many gifts. Lord, rattle my cage this week. May I not be numb to the truth of your word and the songs that we sing, but I may I be convinced. Thanks for men like D. Thanks for books that we can read like Romans. Thank you for books like Pilgrim's Progress that just illustrate the truth, the Christian journey for friends you put in our lives that remind us of hope. Thanks for an unconditional love that we have received by, through the cross, a love that's unlike any other in this world one that's not earned, one that's not deserved, one simply given to us. I pray for the hearts of my friends in here today, Lord. For those that know you, may they be strengthened and encouraged today. May you open their hearts and their affections to the reality of the truth. And for those that don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would receive the gift. They would open it and experience life in your son. In Jesus' name.